0: You are listening to Critical Mass, coast-to-coast radio show, a national business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi.
1: Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass, coast-to-coast radio show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard exclusively live here on Internet radio station, octalkradio.net, spanning the globe with our message of the power of peer learning. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we encourage you to listen live during our broadcast times. Critical Mass, coast-to-coast radio show, is brought to you through a partnership of Critical Mass for Business with Renaissance Executive Forums, business owners in select markets across North America. Renaissance Executive Forums is an international organization committed to helping members take their businesses to the next level. If you'd like to learn more about Renaissance Executive Forums, visit their website, executiveforums.com. This show is brought to you today by our commercial advertisers, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and our newest sponsor, Center Club, a member of Club Corp. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience, of CEOs running middle market firms to improve your decision-making skills. We have two guests today on Critical Mass, Coast Coast Radio Show, and our first guest is Patrick Dennis. He is the founding principal and managing director at Oyster Consulting Group. Patrick, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: Let's start simply. Can you tell us a little bit about your professional background, kind of your path to being the managing director at Oyster Consulting Group?
2: Well, I have been a securities lawyer for about 28 years now. I started my career at the Securities and Exchange Commission in Washington was there for about eight and a half years, um, both in corporation finance and five and a half years in the Division of Enforcement. Uh, A little bit of private practice then went over to the industry side, was general counsel at Bank One Securities for a couple of years. And about ten years prior to starting Oyster, I was senior litigation counsel and a senior regulatory counsel for what was then Wachovia Securities, now Wells Fargo Advisors.
1: Okay, so that's a broad base of experience, so congratulations on that, and how did that lead you to being the founding principal for Oyster Consulting Group, and what is it that Oyster Consulting Group does? Why, why do people select you over other firms that offer a similar
2: service? Okay, well, first of all, um, we started Oyster um, five years ago, or five and a half years ago, October 1st of 2008, I and a couple of my partners And we did so because Wachovia Securities at that time decided to move the corporate headquarters to St. Louis. Um, We declined our invitation and saw a lot of opportunity and, frankly, a lot of talent that was going to be available in the Richmond, Virginia area. We're now in 12 states and Bermuda, but we've grown pretty significantly. Um, What we do, I think, primarily is do compliance and regulatory work with folks that are broker-dealers, investment advisors, hedge funds, things of that nature, but we also add a lot of operational technology, clearing firm experience, things like that. And I think the reason that folks maybe choose us or what differentiates us between our competitors is every one of our folks has got significant time in the industry. We are a number of folks that are former regulators like myself, uh, half a dozen um, attorneys that are like myself that are no longer practicing law but have practical industry experience as chief compliance officers, chief executive officers, director of operations, a number of different uh, significant roles in the securities industry and in the financial services industry.
1: So I'm interviewing and speaking with Patrick Dennis. He is the founding principal and managing director at Oyster Consulting Group. You're listening to the Critical Mass Coast-to-Coast Radio Show. So uh, Joe Carey, who is our business partner with the Renaissance Executive Forums in the Richmond area, suggested that we interview you because I, he found your company uh, interesting. And, and I and I agree so far. I, I guess my, a question that I have, and I'm glad you're on the show because you can help uh, explain it to me and maybe the audience of CEOs of middle market companies, Patrick, and that is why is it so valuable To have someone in your firm doing the work that you're doing for your clients that has previously been a regulator, kind of on the other side. Can you explain what, maybe not just specifically for your firm, but in general, why is that advantageous?
2: I think the reason that it's advantageous is because this industry, securities industry, financial services industry, like a lot of other industries. Are very heavily regulated. So, having an understanding of the regulations, having an understanding of of how the regulators operate, and in fact, in, to some degree, how they think and what their ex- expectations are, is is I think critical and and very very helpful to our clients, so that we have been there when we've been through it. We understand, you know, both from both sides um, what the regulators are looking for, what they expect, how to get through regulatory exams or deal with regulatory inquiries and things of that nature that that I think the practical experience leads you to have a better understanding of the regulators' expectations and how you can further Get through, deal with them. I mean, I spent a lot of years probably talking to regulators every single day of my life. Um, after the fact, after being one, so I think those experiences give me um, a lot of insight into what the regulators want, what you can do, what you can't do, what's going to cause you problems, or what's going to cause them issues with your company, your regulated industry.
1: I'd, I'd like to have a, a follow-up question to that, and we've got about a minute. Yeah, two minutes left until our first commercial break so um, stay tuned ladies and gentlemen we're not going anywhere just yet does it does it work the other way though as well do, do the regulators when they know that you have you you used to be one of them is there any positive or negative response that they tend to have knowing that you um, you were once in their seat?
2: I think it, it is a positive uh, perception on their part because they they know that you understand. you've sat in their chair, you've done their job, you understand what their requirements are and what the goals are. So I think it's uh, my experience has usually been they're very are much more cooperative because they know that you understand what they're all about.
1: So there's sort of an empathetic, okay, you get it, and okay, I
2: understand. Well, yeah, exactly right. You get it. You understand what they have to do, what their requirements are, what their goals are, what they need to achieve to be successful and to, to move on to the next issue, if you will.
1: All right. Well, we're this is good so far, and we're going to take our first commercial break. Patrick Dennis will be back with us. When we come back, I'm going to ask you our guiding principle question. And what I mean by that, Patrick, is... I like to ask guests here on Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show and all of our Critical Mass properties. Of all, you've learned a lot in your business experience, and I'm wondering if there's, you know, one thing in particular, or if you've, you've developed kind of an overarching philosophy or maybe belief system about how you and your partners are leading and growing and developing Oyster Consulting Group. So. If you can think about that during the three-minute break, ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. We're going to be back in probably less than three minutes, frankly, with our guest, Patrick Dennis, and we're going to continue the conversation here on Critical Mass Coast-to-Coast Radio Show.
0: Commercial Bank of California, or CBC, is a well-funded, full-service bank located in the heart of Orange County. When it comes to safety and stability... CBC has one of the highest levels of capital of any commercial bank ranked in the top 6% in the nation. Commercial Bank of California was founded in 2003 by a group of Orange County's finest entrepreneurs. To this day, our bank is governed by our founders, including General William Lyon of William Lyon Homes, Alex Morello of the Morello Group, and Frank Willey of Fidelity National Financial, to name a few. In short... We're a bank founded, built, and run by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Not every business in Orange County should be our customer. However, if your business is looking for a bank that can assist in finance, production, analytics, and risk management, there's no better bank to choose. To understand the true power of how Commercial Bank of California can help you achieve your goals, give us a call at 714-431-7000. Or visit us on the web at www.combancal.com. Member FDIC. Can we
3: talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? at Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com Renaissance Executive Forums. We're going to give them a shout-out for sponsoring this show. And for those of you that don't know, it's the place where CEOs and business owners go to take their business to the next level. It really is that simple. Right now, there's over a 1,000 CEOs meeting with other CEOs each and every week to make better decisions, improve their business, and learn from the experience of others. That's what it's all about, CEO peer groups. So if you're interested in finding out more about a local CEO peer group, why not visit executiveforums.com
1: to learn more? That's executiveforums.com. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Our first guest today is Patrick Dennis. He is Founding Principal and Managing Director at Oyster Consulting Group. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 12,000 shows during the last 30 days. We here at the program appreciate your growing and continued support of the radio program. All of our shows can be heard live here on Internet Radio Station, octalkradio.net, or rebroadcast anytime from iTunes, stitcher.com, other business-oriented podcasting services. All right, Patrick, before the break, I said I was going to ask you to share your guiding principle. I think it would be great for you to do that now, sir.
2: Um, I think the guiding principle for Oyster Consulting is making sure that everybody that works here understands and recognizes that the firm's reputation and our brand is absolutely critical and is we only get one shot at it and you got to make sure we do it right and make sure that our uh, reputation stays intact and continues to improve and the way we do that or try to do that is, is frankly exceed our clients' expectations at every possible turn.
1: Do you have a system for monitoring your brand and reputation in the marketplace? Is it anecdotal? Or uh, are there other tools or relationships that you have that help you to know how uh, what the what's trending on the Oyster Consulting Group as far as your brand and reputation in the marketplace?
2: We do certainly follow um, a lot of social media. We look at it. We review it very, fairly often. But I don't know that we have any specific tools to, to measure it or um, um, keep track of it. We certainly... Um, Part of what happens, or a lot of what a lot of our new clients come from referrals from other clients. So that's certainly gratifying and helpful to us. But um, we don't have any specific way to track it. But we certainly are very, very aware of it, and very um, keenly aware of the fact that we need to keep our reputation um, as, as strong and as and our brand as strong as we can get it. Um, you know, that's not to say we haven't stubbed our toe once in a while and had some issues. But as soon as we um, believe or think that there may be a problem or an issue we try and jump right on it and make sure that um we maintain a reputation and, and improve it as best we
1: can earlier on the program you kind of gave us a brief history of oyster consulting group the fact that you started in richmond and now you've grown in many other cities so can you give us a sense for your uh footprint of your organization as it is today
2: Um, At this point, uh, as we are talking to some people and are about to add some folks in Boston, uh, we have folks in Florida. We are in San Francisco, um, Chicago, St. Louis, New Orleans, Washington, D.C. I'm sure I'm leaving out a few. Columbus, Ohio, um, and Hamilton, Bermuda. So we have grown by adding people uh, where we find talented folks we haven't ever gone to a particular city or looked at somewhere and said we need to be in dallas or we need to be in omaha or something like that we've just um grown by finding and being lucky enough to attract really talented individuals who are interested in joining us and so far it's been great in terms of being in a variety of different cities and places where we have prospective clients or clients
1: so how did the business change and how is it evolving having you know more and more people uh, and maybe I I guess I should ask you do you have more people in Richmond still than you have in all the other areas or is it sort of equal or do you have actually more people outside of Richmond now than you have in Richmond as far as the company goes
2: We have more folks outside of Richmond than we have in Richmond at this point we're about 52 or 3 employees at this point and 20 some of those are in richmond so we've grown more outside of richmond we clearly started here um but all of our growth at this point is probably you know for the most part is going to be outside of richmond
1: so for for another entrepreneur or ceo of a middle market company that is looking to expand their brand into other markets you have great experience and peer experience to share with us off the top of your head and let me just say I'm talking with Patrick Dennis. He is the founding principal and managing director at Oyster Consulting Group in Richmond. And he was brought to us by Joe Carey, who's our Renaissance Executive Forums partner in that marketplace. Uh, any lessons learned about the proper way to make sure that people are, who are in geographically remote and distant offices feel that they're a part of your company that if they're not there in the home office?
2: as we've as we've grown, we've re- recognized that that becomes more and more of a challenge all the time. We are addressing that challenge by doing a couple of things, bringing people to Richmond on a regular basis. And also I and um, other senior folks here and other uh, my partners um, get out and visit folks in their respective locations um, to help them both develop business and work on the uh, work with the clients that we've uh, than happy and lucky enough to attract in those markets.
1: I need to ask you: you, your business exists because you focused on an industry with a with a regulated industry. Let's just leave it that way. I don't need to qualify yep. it any more than that. Yep. In your experience, are you seeing? increasing regulation are you seeing a laxing of regulation does this sort of ebb and flow with the political winds or, or what What in your experience that you feel comfortable sharing with our audience of CEOs of middle market companies kind of is a determinant behind the regulations that exist within your space
2: well I think you know um, the regulation has stepped up substantially in the last five years it, it certainly was a heavily regulated industry before the last financial crisis of 2008, 2009, but um, and then as a result of that, the Dodd Frank initiatives um, that have come out of that um, have increased regulation substantially. And from our perspective, I mean, the, you know, the clients we're seeing and everything else, they're in many cases are just overwhelmed with the regulation, which has created a need for them and and, and really created the the expansion of our business because of the. The increased regulation, the financial crisis from a few years back, um, caused Dodd Frank, caused a number of other regulatory initiatives um, that folks, frankly, are just you know overwhelmed with, um, both in the in the complexity and the and the scope of regulation.
1: Define for me and for our audience, if you if you look across your client portfolio, who might be listening in our audience today that would be the kind of Um, organization that should think about learning more about your firm?
2: I would think the firms that are financial services firms, we service firms from single individuals all the way up through some of the largest financial services firms in the country and the folks that you see advertising on TV every day. And it runs the gamut depending on the type of engagement, the nature of the issue or problem that they have. Um, whether we're in to solve a discrete issue or problem or whether we're there to add ongoing assistance, which we do in a lot of cases. Most of our clients um, are either investment advisors or broker-dealers, and they run the gamut from fairly small to, I would say, mid-sized firms that either need assistance in the compliance area from us and regulatory area from us, or that in many cases we actually will take on the role of the chief compliance officer as an outsource and will assist the firm um in their regulatory and compliance needs so I, you know
1: I am frankly I'm amazed uh, I'm here in Southern California I, I'm amazed that just in Orange County right which is the sixth sure. largest county in the country with the population just north of three million how many professional licensed financial advisors wealth managers there are in our marketplace? And I'm thinking, when you multiply that across the country, just how many potential clients there are for your company, and I know you're not the only one in your space, but it it is really amazing how many professionals are in that industry.
2: There are a lot, um, but there doesn't seem to be any any lack of opportunity for folks, and part of that is, I think, the regulation, regulation the amount of it, the scope of it, and the complexity of it has is, is caused people to, to seek out um professional help if you will or folks that have, have been former regulators or understand the industry i mean our folks with their practical experience not only can we help you with the compliance issues that face your firm but quite frankly we've sat in your chair we we know that you know we can design a bulletproof compliance program but it's going to make it hard for you to turn on the lights in 6 months so, <laughs> so we we you know bring a plan, you know we know what Needs to be done, and we get it done to make sure you stay out of regulatory trouble and stay out, you keep your compliance program clean. But we do it efficiently and with a practical bent, so that you know you're able to continue in business, and you know your firm can continue to grow and and make money.
1: Yeah, because not only is it understanding and complying with the regulations, but it's also digesting and understanding the additional regulations that are coming online. Because you mentioned Dodd Frank and my awareness of that is not only the scope of it, but they're sort of writing it as they're going as well. At least they had been. And so, you know, it's not like you can understand it once and you've locked it in. It seems to me that it's a bit of a moving target as they have evolved the regulations.
2: Right. I mean, well, I think with, particularly with Dodd-Frank, depending on what study you read or who you look at, I mean, they're a long ways from completed. Um, and it could be, you know, depending on who, what source you look at, they may only at this point be 40% completed with, with all of the regulations that are expected to come out of Dodd Frank. So it's certainly, you know, an uphill battle for firms to not only comply with the regulations but also to keep up with the, the new regulations and the changes.
1: If someone would like to learn more about your firm and maybe your background and the other information that may be on your site, how does someone find online oyster consulting group
2: at www.oysterllc.com
1: and oyster is spelled
2: o-y-s-t-e-r right. so it's oyster llc o-y-s-t-e-r com. or if they'd like they can call me directly at 804-965-5404 or they can call my cell phone at 804-366-8565
1: Okay, the, I thought that was going to be my last question, but uh, right. I, I have a studio mate here, my engineer, and he turned to me and he said, ask them how they came up with the
2: name. It's, it's pretty interesting. that, that um, Oyster came out of, uh, m- many of the people here trace their roots back to a firm that was founded in 1934 called Wheat First Securities, and Oyster in French is pronounced wheat,
1: there you go. Are you satisfied? Okay. You made Ryan, you made at good. least one person in the, in our listening community satisfied now, and that's the engineer of the board that's running the bird here for the show today. And, and, and for me, I appreciate that because he, he controls a lot of how well the show comes off. So i got to thank you, Patrick Dennis, for being a friend of the program. Welcome to the Executive Forum's business community. Continued success and growth for your firm.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. That was our first guest here on Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show. Our second guest comes to us by virtue of our partner in San Antonio, Peter Broiler, who's a part of the Renaissance Executive Forum's franchise system. And we will be back after these words from our commercial sponsors.
4: When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information.
5: If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Master for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO peer groups. CEO peer groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business.
1: Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show, heard exclusively live on octalkradio.net. I'm your host, Rick Frenzy. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on our radio show may be the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of the program. We delivered over 37,000 highly targeted sponsor impressions last month. To learn more, contact our VP of Sales, Rose Chamora, at 951-515-4661. Let me give you that number again. 951-515-4661. All right, let's turn our attention to our second guest. As I said, Peter Broiler from San Antonio, Texas, brought you to our attention. Greg you are a managing partner at Lake Flateau Architects. Greg, welcome to the program.
6: Thank you, Rick. I appreciate that.
1: Tell me how to pronounce your last name, Greg. It's Pape. P-A-P-E-Y. That's exactly uh-huh. what I was gonna say, but I didn't want there to bring you, you, you on mispronouncing it. I will I will remember that and refer to you as such moving forward. So tell me a little bit and tell our audience of CEOs of middle market companies a little bit about your professional background and your experience.
6: Well, I'm an architect. Uh, I've been an architect for almost 30 years now, about 20 of it with Lake Flato Architects in San Antonio. I do also have a background of doing a little bit of development uh, earlier in my life and uh, and even worked construction. So I've had uh, my angles come from a a variety of um, directions in becoming an architect uh, through my career. And Lake Flato is is kind of composed of similar folks who've come with, backgrounds in um, in architecture engineering and the arts coming together to form a really unique architecture firm in San Antonio
1: architecture engineering you had me there you surprised me with the arts piece can you explain that
6: yeah so I think uh, architecture is is kind of the the you can think of architects or architecture as the, the master builder or the, the craft people who put everything together that form a building, and a lot of the folks that come to work in our office have experience doing that. So we've had folks here who've been uh, uh, you know, uh, designed and built their own light fixtures, people who've done welding, people who've done sculpture and ceramics, and so all of that adds to, the I guess, the, uh, the uh, diversity of experiences that come together to make up our office.
1: So can you answer this question, and you're not the first architect that I've had on the show that I've asked this question of, but it it intrigues me. Whether it's a TV show or a movie, whenever they want to give the lead character a cool job, they make her or him an architect. What is that about your profession that is so attractive that the media uses it as this iconic and hip kind of uh, profession?
6: Boy, I wish I knew. I wish I was that iconic and hip person that you're referring to. Okay. Um, I think what it is probably is that architects uh, and architecture – Uh, actually offer this great fulcrum point between the the engineering and the science aspects of professions and the artistic aspects of professions and so in many ways i think a lot of people can see themselves as or maybe aspire to be uh, that kind of person somebody who actually can fuse together the science and the engineering side of things with the artistic and the aesthetic side of things and that's what we try to do on a daily basis for our clients
1: yeah those uh, qualities don't always exist in the same brain do they being uh, engineering oriented and also being aesthetic and architect and being able to create something of, uh, that is not only safe and durable but is also beautiful and uses space well that that's the part of architecture that i find so interesting is how uh, with a little that i understand so i'm out a little bit on a thin branch here so so i, I need a, i need a safety net greg and please be that for me but my sense is that the use of space that architects create it's sometimes so subtle, but yet it's so impactful that until it's explained to you, you almost don't understand at a conscious level what's going on, but you certainly appreciate it on a subconscious or unconscious level. Does that make sense?
6: Yeah, Rick, I think actually that's a really good observation. I I think you can imagine architecture, like many things, having multiple layers of depth or meaning, and... uh, if we do our jobs well and we great, make great spaces or make great buildings, those layers get revealed in different ways to different people. Some people will appreciate them for the beauty or the aesthetics. Some will appreciate them for the um, for the practicality and the functionality. Some will appreciate them for the engineering and the performance. And some people will be able to grasp all of those things. And if an architect's done his or her job well, what they've done is they've been able to layer all those things into a design and make them be available to uh, anybody who's experiencing that design.
1: Thank you for that. And I'm speaking with Greg Pepe. He is managing partner at Lake Flato Architects. Uh, in your, which city are you in? Are you in San Antonio?
6: We are. Our okay. office is in San Antonio, Texas.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, I want to ask you a little bit about the market, but that's probably going to have to wait until after the commercial break. We've got about three minutes before the next sure. commercial break. But I wanted to ask you, has what is considered current design, Best either best practices or what is in, in style now, H- has that changed re- greatly or subtly recently? And if so, in what way?
6: Well, that's another really good question. I, I think what's defined as what's in fashion or in style, in design, uh, you can see in many aspects of design, whether it's Art or uh, you know fabrics or whatever it might be, <clears throat> what's visually uh, in style changes quite a bit. But we like to think that what's in style with respect to the uh, fundamentals of a building or the underpinning philosophy shouldn't change a whole lot and the way that we approach it and the way i think many architects approach it is that there's a lot of layers to uh, to making a building work that have to do with the performance of the building about making spaces that are enjoyable uh, for people about making a space that is actually rooted in place we like to say that design shouldn't travel that really good design is very specific to its Uh, to the culture and to the climate and the landscape and the place that it's designed for, we think those things are consistent. And and it's the interpretation of how you uh, create spaces for those underlying philosophies that actually is what kind of changes subtly over time. Certainly in the last uh, 15 or 20 years, the ability for us to use uh, digital technology, both in designing buildings but in also engineering them and then fabricating them, has opened Doors of possibility that were much more difficult to open uh, before that, but the, those kind of underpinning, you know, it's, it's an art for people. Really, architecture is an art for people, mm-hmm. and people haven't changed a whole lot. And so, the needs that we're addressing when we do a building um, should be tied back to those basic, uh, basic parameters.
1: Okay, I'm going to sneak in one more question before our next commercial break because sure. I, I don't want to lose the energy around this conversation. I love, I marvel at having technology CEOs on my. For, on my radio show which is critical mass coast coast radio show because the rate of change of their business model is faster than i've seen in any other industry just because technology innovation kind of go hand in hand right when we think of innovation many times we think of technology but but as you're talking i'm thinking you know I, and i want to ask this question to you, greg has has the material that you are able to use now and i know that there's been you know, evolution and innovation, and the mater- the building materials that you're able to use, has has that given architects more freedom to create, or ha- has it opened up new ways of thinking about creating space and buildings based on the basic uh, techno- the, the basic material properties that you're able to use now that maybe 40 or 50 years ago they didn't have at their disposal.
6: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I think buildings today can and should be made better than buildings of fifty or a hundred years ago. There's uh, there's a lot of advancements in material technology. Even even when you see a traditional building material like stone or concrete or something like that used, uh, the, the the chances are that it's being used today in a in a much different and better way than it was used fifty or a hundred years ago in the way that we put buildings together. So. I think in the last 30 or 40 years, what's really made architecture accelerate is that the science of building and then the uh, the science and you know, digital applications of designing have advanced dramatically, and we've been able to incorporate those into the kind of traditional thinking about how we make spaces for people.
1: Okay. i got one more, and then I'm going to let you go. My producer my engineer are freaking out, but I, I, you got me on a roll here. <laughs> I don't want to lose my train of thought, and this may be a tangent that... That is a quick answer probably is and maybe it's an unfair question but i've got to ask it okay i'm getting the hurry up sign but i'm still going to stay here it's my show we're going to hang a little bit longer the question is when you as a professional look at something like the great pyramids do you look at those things and go wow they were lucky or wow they really understood the basic science maybe they didn't even understand the science but they really did a good job in what they constructed there
6: I think if you look at any kind of remarkable piece of architecture over the millennia, there's, a layer, there's layers and layers of thinking that went into that that are very, very difficult for even a, a professional to understand, let alone a layperson. So when I look at the pyramids and I look at the Eiffel Tower, you're, you're looking at both the pinnacle of kind of design and construction technology fusing together in an integrated way to create some of the best physical achievements that man's been able to create.
1: Thank you. Now we're going to take our third and final commercial break here on Critical Mass uh, Coast-to-Coast Radio Show. And when we get back, we're going to have another ranging conversation with our second guest, Greg Pepe. And we'll be back after these words from our sponsors.
7: There's something uniquely positive about the word up. When things are good, things are looking up. When you want to go fast, you speed up. And when you're really cheering, you stand up. So when you want to move up, what do you do? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's degree or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up better than virtually everyone else, and that university is Brandman. Brandman University is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs, and it ranked best in the state of California. Brandman also received top honors from U.S. News and World Report for our online graduate programs in business and education. Plus, our programs are available on ground at more than 25 convenient campuses. So to wrap things up, we recommend you look us up at brandman.edu. That's brandman.edu. And find out how to move up like never before. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, Middle market and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. This is the sound of a flat screen television hurled off a building. Now, the new bike your kid wants. These are the things you could have all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Use Energy Star light bulbs and appliances, and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at EnergySavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council.
1: Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 12,000 shows during the last 30 days. We here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows can be heard live, of course, here on octalkradio.net or rebroadcast anytime from Apple iTunes, Stitcher.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services our second guest is Greg Pepe. He is the partner, managing partner, at Lake Flato Architects in San Antonio. And during the break, my engineer asked me to ask you, so this is a question from the audience, about uh, the Pritzker Prize. Are you familiar yeah. with that award, and could you explain it to our audience, please?
6: Sure. So there are you know, a number of awards programs that exist in lots of professions, and And uh, and similarly, there are in architecture, and um, probably the most coveted prize that an architect might receive is called the Pritzker Prize, which is uh, given out to one architect a year by the committee formed by the, the Pritzker organization. Um, that and I think that maybe for about 30 years now they've been handing it out. So it's kind of the Academy Award for Architecture uh, that's a worldwide jury that they convene to review various um, nominated architects' works, and then they select one, and, and that person would be the Pritzker Prize winner
1: for the year. Well, thank you for giving us background on that, and thank you to my engineer for having a little bit of knowledge about a lot of things and bringing them to the quality of the show. You know, I wanted to ask you, You know, we talked about materials innovation and how that's affecting your profession. The other side of that is the growing awareness for green initiatives and making buildings sustainable. Can you give our audience of CEOs of middle market companies kind of a sense for where where are you in that evolution as an industry and kind of help us to understand how that movement is progressing within your industry?
6: Well, I think... uh for the last 20 years or so, uh, architecture and construction have really been accelerating in making the greening of buildings and the higher performance of buildings a, a priority for um, for what we're doing for our clients. And there's good reason behind that. You know, there's a lot of different statistics, but essentially about 50% of all energy use in the, in the United States goes into the construction and operation of buildings. So we can have a huge influence on the efficiency of that if we build and operate buildings uh, in a better way. So maybe 20 or so years ago, as the science, again, of architecture was improving, a whole number of rating and organi- uh, systems came in- into place. Maybe the most prominent one is the LEED rating system for buildings that's promoted by the U.S. Green Building Council. That's really asked architects and, and constructors to up their game and think more holistically about how we do our buildings. So it has a big impact down the line. I mean, I think what, any, any kind of dollar that we can return to our clients is a dollar that they can put to use some other way. So if our buildings are efficient from an energy and a, and a water use standpoint, that's great. But maybe more importantly, the, the things that lead to efficient buildings are usually or uh, very typically the things that lead to healthier buildings and better buildings for people to be working in. So we can increase increase productivity, have people be happier in their work and, and uh, learning and uh, life environments if we think uh, more holistically about how we do that. So the green building movement is really just, that, you know at its core about building better buildings that that people appreciate more and that use less resources
1: and that's going to continue to evolve as we understand uh, and we get more innovation in the products and application of those uh, of that innovation into your profession as well hi huh? I mean I do, do you think that we're going to continue to become smarter and smarter and have more, better and better tools to make buildings more and more sustainable over time?
6: Absolutely, I, I think the the systems that started out in place twenty years ago were were not mainstream. They were kind of very outside the mainstream twenty years ago when you talked about a green building and you talked about you know sourcing materials locally and you talked about having low emitting materials for off gassing and so forth. people would look at you with kind of weird looks that 's all been completely um, assumed now within the building and, and design industry, so all of the things that were we're offbeat are now mainstream and so that means that now we're looking for yet the next generation of products and design processes that can continue to improve buildings and um, and spaces for people and I think it's, it's this is one thing that's not a trend. I think this is one thing that will not disappear. I think we found that it's actually with a lot of um, good thinking and good design, you can build buildings that use uh, fewer resources and so uh, why wouldn't that be a better building, you, using less energy, using fewer resources to get a better result?
1: Thank you. I'm speaking with the managing partner at Lake Flato. He is Greg Pepe. He comes to us from San Antonio. And I want to thank Peter Broiler, who is our Renaissance Executive Business Partner in the great city of San Antonio, for suggesting that we interview here on our radio show today. Greg, you know, earlier you said, uh, you know, an architecture, design, should not travel well it should somewhat be in so so tell me a little bit and hopefully i'm quoting you correctly but tell me a little bit about the design priorities for the san antonio area
6: oh that's a great question yeah well so, so i think uh, maybe at kind of its root, there's a lot of ways you can think about what makes design very specific, but the kind of the three or four ways that we boil it down to is really trying to connect with the culture or the patterns of living that people have in a place, with the climate that exists there, with the landscape, and then with the building craft. So in San Antonio, there's a very kind of wonderful bicultural, uh, it's a very great bicultural city. My wife's Hispanic, and uh, and I'm Anglo, and obviously are growing up with with mixed kids, and um, and so there's a really wonderful way that, that uh, people come together and celebrate in San Antonio. In San Antonio, for example, the climate's very nice. It's very hot in the summer, but the other nine months out of the year, it's very uh, wonderful. And so we like to think of making for patterns of our buildings that allow people to move from inside to outside very easily. And so that's a cultural thing, but also, also a climatic thing. Uh, similarly, there's, you know, uh, plant structures, uh, flora and fauna in an area that make it very specific and unique, and so we don't like to import, uh, you know, landscape solutions to our projects, so our buildings and landscapes all feel, feel, feel very much of the place. I think we like to say that if we've done our job well, our buildings feel like guests on the landscape, that they're kind of there, even though we hope they're there for 100 years, they, don't, they almost feel like they've touched very lightly, uh, and they're guests in that um, overall environment. And then the building craft, and the building craft's probably the hardest one these days to be connected to locally because uh, as we mature, you know, as a people, as a society, we find it very easy that, to get materials from any continent um, and uh, have something manufactured in Asia or in Europe and imported over to the United States. But we like to look for the building traditions that were here uh, 100 years ago because when when people didn't have air conditioning, when they didn't have electric lights, they had to build buildings with things that were available and they had to build them in ways that made them naturally pleasant and comfortable and so you know in san antonio that would mean building with masonry walls heavy walls that would reject the heat uh and and um, keep that harsh environment out in the summer <clears throat> light roofs uh, metal roofs that would reflect the heat again keeping it out in the summer but uh, allowing for the buildings to be open to the outside so that the other months out of the year you could take it advantage of that so it's, it's looking for the specificity of um what exists and in San Antonio it's it's very much about this kind of culture of interactions and those interactions very often happen
1: uh kind of in an indoor outdoor way. Well that that is I got bonus points. You get bonus points for that answer and maybe I get bonus points for Indeed. asking the question but that was that was marvelous. You know, I I uh my memories of San Antonio kind of center around the Riverwalk. And mm-hmm. as you were describing the local flavor, I'm thinking I think a lot of that is captured in the ex- now admittedly i probably haven 't been there in a decade, but I have fond memories of being able to sit along there on a cool night and just enjoy everything that happens around that area of the city
6: it 's magical you know it's uh, you know it 's been in San Antonio now for almost eighty years, and it 's taken a long time to develop to what it what it 's become but even on the hottest day in the summer, you can go down to the river and it 's fifteen or twenty degrees cooler. Than being up at street level because of the microclimate of the river and the shade from the trees and the being sunk in deep between the buildings and it's a perfect example of a space that's very specifically rooted to place and fits San Antonio and this, yeah this kind of outdoor culture indoor outdoor culture that that we've kind of grow have grown to love so much about this place is really epitomized by that um, by that wonderful r- river walk that we have.
1: I have two last questions and I think I might have created a monster here with my engineer because. It, 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 as far as I know, he hasn't had one class in architecture, but he seems to know a lot about it. Uh, he, he wrote me a handwritten note, if you can call this handwriting. Uh, he asked me about, he wants me to mention to you Frank Lloyd Wright's house, Falling Water, which is outside mm-hmm. of Pits- Pittsburgh, which in his right. note he suggests the river running through it has something to do with climate control of the house and cooling. Uh, that's an iconic house, right? And I'm from Pittsburgh, so I can I appreciate the reference. But from an architecture, architect's point of view... Is there anything else about that house called Falling Water that you'd like to mention?
6: Well, it's uh, it's a spectacular house from many vantage points. I I think maybe the the thing that was most innovative about that house and most innovative about many things that Frank Lloyd Wright did was he was a real engineer at heart. And so there are some spectacular ways that the the pieces of the building of that house can lever out and over, that falling water the waterfall and river that runs adjacent to it that would almost defy logic to um, to many structural engineers but it's um he used to, he he made a very what could otherwise look like a very heavy house of concrete and stone, literally float out over the landscape in a in a really magical way. One of the one of the, our greatest architects ever, for sure.
1: Well, this has been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank I can you. see now why Hollywood uses your profession. <laughs> you've just you've answered my lifelong question, and I appreciate you doing that. Uh, okay. If someone wants to learn more about Lake Flato Architects, how do they find you online, Greg? Uh,
6: so there's a, the, the best place to start is lakeflato.com. That's our main website. Uh, if you want to know a little, about, a little bit more about the culture of Lake Flato, we've got a social media blog that's called lakeflatodogrun.com. And uh, we've got a couple of books about our uh, work. One's called Buildings and Landscapes, and the other one is called Lake Flato Houses Embracing the Landscape, and you can find those through any kind of
1: online bookstore. So I know how to spell Lake Plato because it's here in front of me, but would you do that for our audience, please?
6: Sure. Lake Plato's is two words. It's L-A-K-E, Lake, and then Flato, F as in Frank, L-A-T-O, Lake Plato Architects.
1: Well, Greg, I can't thank you enough for sharing a bit of what you know about your profession and sort of enthusing us with your uh, energy and love for your profession. Nothing but continued success. Thank you for being a friend of the program, and welcome to the Renaissance Executive Forums community. Well, thank you, Rick. It was my pleasure. Have a good day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, outstanding interview from an outstanding business person and architect in San Antonio. Again, I want to thank Peter Broiler for bringing him to our attention, and I want to thank Joe Carey, our Richmond, Virginia partner, for bringing our first guest to our attention as well. Our first guest was Patrick Dennis. So I'm your host, Rick Franzi. Let, Let me just say I want to thank Renaissance Executive Forums, And the partnership that we have with them, Renaissance is an executive, is an international organization for executives who want to take their businesses to the next level. And who doesn't want to take our businesses to the next level? That means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. If you'd like to learn more about Renaissance Executive Forums, then visit their website, Forums, spelled F-O-R-U-M-S, dot com. This show is brought to you by our commercial advertisers. They are Brandman University, Commercial Bank of orange county california sorry decision toolbox smart business magazine succession strategies and center club a member of club corp our engineer today who contributed so much to the program is paul roberts our producer is crystal nunley our guest coordinator is kathleen shepherd asia celestino is our social media manager live events coordinators melissa padani our vp of sales is rose chamara and i'm your host rick Francie If you'd like to refer a guest or maybe advertise on Critical Mass Radio Show or learn about our CEO peer groups that I lead for business owners here in Orange County, Southern California, visit CriticalMass4FORBusiness.com. Until the next show, I hope all of your decisions will move your company in a positive direction.
0: You've been listening to Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show, business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi.